Would you open God's precious holy word to Leviticus 19? Which is a general summary of God's statutes, commands, his expectations for the lifestyle of his people. To keep it in its proper perspective, we remember that from the time frame of Leviticus 19, not that long ago, they were, they were in Egypt, terrible place, paganism, false gods, false worship, strange things, no uh, moral compass. They came out of Egypt, but they were among other nations, same thing. These other nations had unclean lifestyles. They had no moral compass. They had, they had no direction regarding holiness or purity. God demands both holiness and purity from his people. They're to be different. They're to be holy. They're to be different. They're to be separate from the other nations. We've seen a lot of things already when we studied Exodus and now we're studying Leviticus. So we come to this general summary and it looks back on things that... Uh, that the Lord has given through Moses to the people and he gave it more expansively, more meticulously. And here begins to summarize. Now remember the last several chapters we've been looking at were statutes, ordinances, commands from God, instruction from God with regard to the holiness of his people. It had to do with their everyday living, the, the, the minor details of life, the clothes they wore, how they looked, their cleanliness, places where they would live, the cleanliness of the place where they would live, uh, the people with whom uh, they were to be around, how they were to treat strangers, how were they to treat each other. All of these things are summarized pretty much, not all of them, but there's a general summary here of the high points in Leviticus, in Leviticus 19, so it's, it's a, an appeal to holiness, the holiness and separation of the people of God. That particular um, attribute with regard to God's people never changes. There is a separation that has to exist in the lives of God's people. We cannot be like the other people in the world who are not God's people. We have boundaries. We have uh, direction. We have instructions. And we have, we, we have an expectation from within ourselves that, uh, that we obey the word of God. We have the same thing. We don't, of course, with respect to the law... 
it's not applicable to the church as it was applicable to Israel. But there are principles that are laid down for us that are parallel to the things that uh, were laid down for the Old Testament elect. So we're going to look at it here. And the first thing are three basics. It start, God here starts with three basics of uh, the expected lifestyle and the holiness, the separation of God's people. Now you can always tell when I do this on the laptop because it comes out like that instead of black with white. Um, and Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, speak to the entire congregation of the, to the sons of the children of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, Yahweh Elohim, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You shall be separate. There is no God like God. This is a, this is a principle to be applied among the people of God to say, you can't compare God to anybody. God is God. He is above anything else. And in an earthen human sense, it applies to the people of God. There are the people of God on the planet. And they're not like the other people. God is not like another so-called God. And his people are not like other people. Because he's given us direction. So as he is holy, his people are to be holy. Every man shall fear his mother and father. Number one, it starts with family. The, the holiness of family. If the Lord doesn't come in the near future as I think he will, but if he doesn't, As America, the United States, passes into history. If the historians will be true to the realities of the final decades of American life, it will have to be written that the major contribution to the demise of America was the forsaking of family life. Fathers were not be fathers. They were not fathers. Mothers were not mothers. Family units were not family units as they are presented and as they are meant to be in the so-called Judeo-Christian ethic. I don't have to look far to realize that unless there is some kind of divine intervention in, 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 the, in generations that are after me, maybe... Well, younger people, I can see them. They're undisciplined. They're worse than sassy. Um, they're, 
they, they have no regard for, for God or his word, generally speaking. There's this general, this, this, this general um, decline in spiritual life and increasingly the family unit as it's presented in the Bible is disappearing. Well, a, a culture can't stand on something other than that. That culture will collapse. That society will cease to exist because there's, nothing, there's no foundation for it. Here, in summarizing the holiness of his people, through Moses, God starts with family life. Every man shall fear his mother and his father. You could say that another way, reverence, reverential fear. To know that there is a price to be paid, there is a penalty imposed if one doesn't reverence his parents. Now it goes beyond that in the New Testament and it talks about in the Lord. I suppose in these last days, young people could make the argument that they came up in a home where parents deserved no reverential fear or respect. I, I suppose that's a debate that maybe could be made. But from the outset and the onset of the separation of God's people, it begins with family life. So the people of God will have to compare and contrast in these days, the church, in those days, Israel. And note that we expect our children to be disciplined and obedient in the Lord, of course, the admonition is also given in the law that they are to teach the law to their children, the Bible. And in their rising up and they're going to bed, they're to teach the word of God to their children. There's an anchor there. There's a foundation stone. There's something, absolute truth, on which the people of the culture will stand. In this case, the people of Israel. So it's very simple. It comes from the wisdom of heaven itself. Every man shall fear his father and his mother, his mother and his father. The flip side of that coin is not written here, but if that doesn't happen, there are disastrous results. I read a, I read a post, I guess it was on Facebook or something, and it went something like this. We wondered what would happen when God and prayer were removed from public school. Now we know. Maybe one of you guys posted that, I don't know. Here, in the economy of God's people, there is this basic assumption that we wouldn't consider it any other way, but that we would be a strong family unit. Parents 
would be honored and reverenced as they made admonition to their people from the Lord, the word of God, and children would grow up in discipline, understanding the importance of respect for authority and the importance of work itself. It's just a basic building block. This is a summary of, of holiness for God's people. Every man shall fear his mother and his father. Number two, he shall take care to rest upon the completed work of God. Shabbat, the, the Sabbath. A day where a man, a woman, a family, a nation would rest from everything except reflection upon God. God has completed everything for me. In the New Testament, Jesus is our Sabbath. We are taught this. We rest in Christ, the completed work of Christ. I can't add anything to it. I can't take away from it. It's the completed work of Christ. There's no other place for me to rest except in Christ. The forerunner of that is seen here in the Old Testament. They would be hardworking people. They would, they would have an innate ability to work the land and the flocks and the herds. They would know these things and they would, as a matter of fact, the Egyptians recognized them for that. They despised them. They looked down on them for it, but they saw them as a pastoral people, an agrarian society. When, listen, when you know how to do those things, you'll be all right. <laughs> you'll be all right if you know how to work the animals in the land. And this is how the people were. They were simple. This is, they weren't too complex. They were simple people and they simply worked and understood there was a time of rest so that they could rest in the Lord. That was number two. Number three, well, I am Yahweh your God. I am I am the Lord your God. The next thing is you better always put God first and don't ever substitute something else for the true and living God. You shall not turn to the worthless idols, nor shall you make molten deities for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. You see how many times he says that after every statement? The reminder, you won't, you don't have, there's no higher appeal. You can't make up something else and expect that it would, it would even be equal to the instruction that's being given to you because it's coming from the Lord your God, the great I am. Nowhere else. In the case of Israel, it would be the worthless idols and the molten deities that carried with it, and we've discussed that, I think it was last week in Leviticus 18. It would carry with it as a worship of fertility, the fertility cult. It would carry with it all, all sorts of un restrained, perverted behavior. And those things, would, those earthen so-called pleasures 
could grip the base nature of people such that people could be duped by the devil into thinking that this was actually fun. My daddy used to talk about the world when he would preach and he would refer to the world as people on a roller coaster riding straight into hell, screaming, laughing, having a big time, not knowing, not realizing the terrible stop that was ahead for them. Well, this is like worthless idols, idol worship and worshiping molten deities. It, it's, not that, it's not that you just bow to a rock or some piece of metal that you forge. It's what's behind that. It's, what's that, it's, it's what is represented there and what it brings into a culture. You, can, you, you and I have the privilege of being able to read the whole story of the Old Testament people of Israel. And we know that it ends in their judgment and dispersion from the place, from the place where God had promised them. The people and the land go together in the covenant. If there's a terrible breach of the covenant, then God had, of course, reserves the right. It's written in Deuteronomy. God reserves the right to dispel, to send them away from the land. This beautiful, wonderful land that he had given to them, that he provided for them. And they would, they would wander among the nations in judgment until the end of days when God would draw them back after they had spent enough time realizing how terrible it was, the lives they lived in opposition to God, in worshiping other gods. <coughs> so the, excuse me, so the, the plain truth is that's a terrible thing for the people to put so-called pleasures and things that men create, put those ahead of God. Do people do that today? Is, is God at the head of everybody's list or is he just down there somewhere but there are other things that are just so important? I have to invest time and money and I have to pursue these things regardless of my spiritual life. Well, this of course is what the people were warned against. That's the third, third thing that's listed here in this list of the first four verses. The next section is the reminder of Yahweh, the instruction of Yahweh, the summary of Yahweh's instruction regarding the importance of his people being close to one another, to sharing with one another and to caring for one another. So let's just go through it here. When you slaughter a peace offering, you remember the, back in what, Leviticus 3? Do you remember the peace offering? It was a kind of a thing. It was a fellowship thing. You'd invite other people quickly. As soon as you made the offer, they would come and they would enjoy the meal with you. When you slaughter a peace offering to Yahweh, you shall slaughter it for your acceptance. And it may be eaten on the day you slaughter it and on the morrow, but anything left over to the third day shall be burned in fire. And if it's eaten on the third day, it's abominable. It shall not be accepted. It's important for people to come together in worship with other people, but not just worship in a time of fellowship. And this is what is uh, being instructed here. I'm going to have to have some of your water if you got any left. <coughs> Something got a hold on me. 
All right. And God says it's okay to drink after your wife. It's okay. Nothing wrong with that. The importance of fellowship and closeness, of sharing each other's lives and happiness. Whoever eats it shall bear his sin because he has profaned what is holy to Yahweh. That person should be cut off from his people. When you reap the harvest, now it goes from the sacrifice to the harvest. <coughs> when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not fully reap the corner of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, and you shall not glean your vineyard, you shall, uh, nor shall you collect the fallen individual grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor people and for the stranger who is passing through. I am Yahweh, your God. A beautiful illustration of this is the book of Ruth, right? Um, she gleans in the fields. There are others there who would glean as well. Boaz was a wealthy man. But following the law, they didn't completely cut all of the corners. They left a good bit for those who were poor and those who needed uh, to glean. It's a beautiful story, this story of Ruth. A bond, a fellowship that's formed between two classes of society, I guess you'd say. But they didn't see themselves that way. Boaz certainly, but matter of fact, he was a kinsman redeemer. And he was, he was willing to, to join his wealth with her poverty. And, and lay aside anything for himself in order for Ruth to become what she could never become on her own. It's a beautiful thing. And part of the, part of the lives of God's people is to feed the hungry and care for the poor. Now, if a man doesn't work, neither shall he eat. That's Paul's writing in the New Testament to the Thessalonians. But at the same time, there are people who are unfortunate and they cannot help it. They are hungry and need to be fed. And so God's people have, have always had this edict upon them, upon us, to take care of people who may seem to be less fortunate. Because who knows, within five years, the whole thing could flip upside down and you could be the one out there gleaning and they could be the one owning the field. He reminds them of not just caring for one another and sharing with each other, but that it's important and that it's part of who we are to be sure that we care for the less fortunate and that we feed those who are hungry and we take care of the stranger who is passing through. You ever been a stranger somewhere? Just... I'll tell you this story. I may have told it before. I don't know. My dad had, my daddy had two older brothers. Well, he had, he was the 13th of 13, but there were two that were kind of close to him. It was back during the depression. And, uh, 
daddy's, his heart had been broken by a girl. His two older brothers said, let's jump in this old jalopy that we have and go to Florida. Now they're dirt poor, right? They were so poor they didn't even know they were poor. It was another day. People could get paid pennies, which would be worth a lot of money in those days to stop and provide physical labor. They were farm boys. They knew how to work. They knew how to work a farm. They knew dirt. They knew fruit and they knew vegetables. And so the two older brothers to try to help daddy's broken heart get healed thought that a trip to Florida was in order. This is not really funny, I guess. It is when you think about it. Reluctantly, he agreed to go and they go down and they found work picking oranges. So they would finish one field, they go to the next place. They were hardworking guys and they would pick oranges and pick oranges along with a lot of other people out there picking oranges and they would find something else they could do. And they'd been gone for quite some time and the decision was made, it's time to go back home. On the way home, nothing, he told me, there were no highways, just mostly dirt roads, little, just farms everywhere. On their way up back through Florida to South Gadsden, Alabama, they ran out of gas in the middle of nowhere. And now, Daddy would pray. They all three would pray. They prayed about it. Boy, they prayed for God to help them. Didn't, know, didn't have any money. Didn't know how they were going to pay for the gasoline. And this, within an hour or two, a fine-looking middle-aged man came up in a really nice-looking car. He pulled up beside them and he stopped. He said, you boys having trouble? Yes, sir. We're out of gas. We headed home to Alabama. Don't have a penny to our name. We've been working orange fields and crops and stuff. This man was a doctor, well-dressed, stepped out of his car, walked over to them, gave them $2. He said, now you boys take these $2 and that'll get in them. Back then, $2 would have gotten them a long way home. You, you, get in, you get with that $2 and you take yourself as far as you can and it'll work out for you. Don't worry about it. Well, they thanked the Lord for sending that man along. Daddy said, wait a minute before you leave. I want your name and your address. I'm going to pay you back. He said, no, you don't have to pay me back. I, I insist. I said, well, at least let me send you. I'm going to pay you back. So the man etched out his name and address and gave it to daddy. He said, now, don't worry about it, but you insist, there it is. Daddy lost the address on the way home. It crushed him. He was so hurt. He don't know how he lost it. 
my daddy in the due course of time became a fairly well-to-do man. And he helped people. He helped them as much as he could. He gave things to them. He would do whatever he could do. One day, I worked in the store there with, with, with my daddy. Somebody came in and daddy knew they were in rough shape. He gave them some clothes and some money. <clears throat> and he turned to me and told me the story that I just told you. He said, I can't remember that doctor's name, but I have been trying to pay him back ever since. Doing the best I can do. Well, this is, this is the, what the people of God are expected to do. In the, in, in the New Testament church, in the era of Christ, it is Christ in us. Back then, it was sort of like the law working out itself in their life. But not now. It's Christ, the Holy Spirit of God, working through us to do the things as the people of God we are expected to do. The next section here teaches God's people to love his neighbor. You shall not steal. You shall not deny falsely. You shall not lie one man to his fellow. You shall not swear falsely by my name, thereby profaning the name of Elohim, the name of your God. I am Yahweh. You shall not oppress your fellow. Be honest. Have integrity. You shall not rob. The hired worker's wage shall not remain with you overnight until morning. Pay your debts quickly. Pay your people. Be fair and just. You shall not, you shall not abuse handicapped people. You shall not curse a deaf person. You shall not place a stumbling block before a blind person. And you shall fear me, your God. I am Yahweh. You are kind to people. And you don't hurt people, you help people. You shall commit no injustice in judgment. Be fair. You shall not favor a poor person or respect a great man. You shall judge your fellow with righteousness. You shall not go around as a gossip monger amidst your people. You shall not stand by the shedding of your fellow's blood. I'm Yahweh. You value life. You have integrity. You respect everybody, even, even though they seem to be less fortunate and even handicapped. You take care of them. You don't do anything that's wrong to these people. And you don't classify people. Treat everybody the same with equal justice and righteousness. Don't, don't gossip. Don't carry around tails. Be a tail bearer. And don't hurt a person even to stand over him in his blood. I am Yahweh. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your fellow, but you shall not bear a sin on his account. 
Don't hide what doesn't need to be hidden. You shall neither take revenge from nor bear a grudge against the members of your people. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. Christ, four times in the New Testament, maybe more than that, but in the New Testament, it's recorded four times Christ repeated that very thing. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Then finally, there are other things that are sort of like odds and ends that God's people should take care to observe. Observe my statutes. Don't crossbreed your livestock with a different species. Don't sow your field with a mixture of seeds and a garment which that's a mixture. That means like linen and wool together. Shall not come upon you. And here's what God is saying. Your work needs to be quality work. You don't cheat people. You don't present something as something that it's not. Anything that you do needs to be the highest quality, whether it's an animal or whether it's vegetables out of a field or even clothing that you would make. If a man, now this is an interesting one. If a man lies carnally with a woman and she's a handmaid designated for a man and she had not been fully redeemed nor had her document of emancipation been granted to her, there shall be an investigation and they shall not put to death because she had not been completely freed. Now, when you study this out, you come to realize that, okay, here's Eliezer and some other woman's Hebrew, no, um, Esther. And they have pledged each other to one another. But being a handmaid, she was owned by someone else. She had sort of been promised to someone else. She didn't love him, loved the other guy. And at this point, after the investigation is made, realize that these two people really belong to each other and this other guy doesn't have the document so we're not going to kill her we're going to let her live but he'll have to bring a guilt offering to Yahweh to the entrance of the tent of meeting a guilt offering ram and the priest shall effect atonement for him with the guilt offering ram before Yahweh for the sin that he had committed and he shall be forgiven for the sin that he had committed. Yahweh going to make it. Yahweh will do what he has to do to appease himself, appease his justice, and recognize the situation. You shall not eat over the blood. You shall not act on the basis of omens or lucky hours. Now, okay. They're traveling through the midst of people who are pagans. They have no concept of the true and living God. They are in total and absolute darkness. Everything about their lifestyle is demonic. 
And they're having to pass through these people. As a matter of fact, they came out of a bunch of people like that. And they're headed to a place that's filled with people like this. And so they're seeing this all the time. And it is not the way they do things. It's not the way they live life. One thing is, what this means in verse 26 is, we don't have magicians in Israel. You won't perform magic or try to perform magic. You don't do that at all. That's what these people do. You don't do this. You trust God for everything. You shall not round off the corner of your head. You shall not destroy the edge of your beard. In other words, you're not going to make yourself look foolish and like an idiot. You shall not make cuts in your flesh for a person who has died. This is a pagan. These are pagan rituals. In mourning, in, in grief over the death of other people, the family members. You shall not etch a tattoo on yourselves. I am Yahweh. That's what they do. You won't do that. You won't look like them. You are my people. I am Yahweh. You won't make yourself look weird. You won't do th weird things to yourself. And you won't get into kind of weird practices. You trust God. Read the word of God. Follow God. Obey his ordinances, his statutes. You keep your eyes on God. The nations of the world are not holy, but you are holy. You shall not defile your daughter by making her a harlot. Lest the land fall into harlotry and the land be filled with immorality. Now that has to do with, we studied a little bit on this last time. It has to do with temple prostitutes. God says we don't, we don't dabble in, in that. Temple prostitution is not part of who we are. And you will not allow your children to be involved in it. You shall observe my Sabbaths and revere my sanctuary I am Yahweh. You will worship and you will worship together and you'll like it. <laughs> you shall not turn to the sorcery. Now this is mediums and uh, familiar spirits. Is what they're, they're proper names, but it speaks of mediums and uh, familiar spirits. You shall not seek these and thereby defile yourselves through them. I am the Lord your God. It's what Samuel did, you know, to conjure up a dead person, familiar spirits and mediums. You don't do that. You shall rise before a venerable person and you shall respect the elderly and you shall fear your God. I am Yahweh. To have respect for the elderly, you see this? To have respect for the elderly is the same thing as expressing your fear of God. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not taunt him. Don't make fun of him. The stranger who sojourns with you shall be as a native from among you and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. 
You didn't like it when they mistreated you in Egypt. You'll want to treat them like you'd want to be treated when they're coming through the land. You shall not commit a perversion of justice with measures. Don't be dishonest. Weights are liquid measures. You shall have true scales, true weights, a true ephah, and a true hen. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall observe all my statutes and my ordinances and fulfill them. I am Yahweh. When you read the entire text of the Old Testament, especially the law, you will see that the people of God, all of them, all of Israel, were the representatives, the ambassadors of Yahweh to people who were worshiping other gods. And ultimately they were to teach the true and living God to other people and thus themselves become a nation of priests. They failed. They failed miserably. The failure is well documented in the Old Testament all the way into the time of the appearance of the Christ God in their midst and their only thought was to honor themselves and to kill their God. So they get this start in the world to reveal the justice, the integrity, the honor, the love of God. To everybody else. You are holy. Because I'm holy. You are different. And the world should take note. Of the difference. Because you are my God. And I'm, you are my people. And I am your God. This is the summary of all of that. Here in this chapter. Let's pray together. We'll be through for tonight. Oh Lord. Even though it's the Old Testament law, it speaks to our hearts. And in this time, and in our way today, O oh Lord, help us to live such that you are honored through our lives in the places where we live and work. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.